0: Um, I'm so in the moment that sometimes I forget where I was, or maybe it's the early stage of senility. I'm not sure. <laughs> Who can help me out? Relationship. Oh yeah. So uh, let's say we ha- each of us how do you- to get to know yourself. Really, um, we have a relationship to every aspect of being alive. What's our relationship to nature, to things, to money? the time. What's our relationship to suffering? We're getting closer now. What's our relationship to uh, everything, really? Food. What's our relationship? As you start to look, you realize that uh, you're always in the presence of something. That's why we're alive. Relationship is living. And of course, uh, what is being suggested here is you start paying attention and learning from the living as you go through it. And, of course, teachings help, and the practice enabling the mind to be steadier and clearer seems to be very, very helpful and necessary, it seems. Okay. And then, so that relationship is, you tell me, it could be anything. If we just took, uh, um, take time, T-I-M-E. I'm an amateur herbalist, so I always, I don't mean T, the herb, but no one thinks of it as an herb, do you? When I said time, you think of, right, it's, it's, it's my obsession, what is my relationship to time? I guess I, uh, it's not a bad herb, I like it. Um, what's our relationship to psychological time? Is there a difference between psychological time and clock time? Uh, why do we hear all this, what's all this fuss about be here now, the power of now, it's a lot of book covers, titles, now, now, you know, the present moment. What's all the fuss. Who cares about that? Maybe it's better... Well, apparently, we're not... We wouldn't need to be reminded of its immense significance and have all these techniques and methods and authors writing books about it if we were doing it. So apparently, we're not, because we prefer an imaginary future or a past that's over with. Just watch your own mind. See if it's so. So some what would be, what you'd learn about yourself, might be, what is my relationship to time? Uh, maybe never considered that. I never did until some teacher put it on my agenda. What's my relationship to thought, to emotion? So it's in this sense, and uh, let's just say the, the fundamental difference is without any training, typically we grab and try to hold on to what we like. That is, relationship two, you plug in whatever is on your mind right now. And we try to get rid of, evade, avoid, nullify, eliminate uh, what we don't like. And then there's a lot that's kind of neutral. We space out, we get bored with, we find something else to fill up space with. The Dharma attitude, the meditative attitude, is neither one extreme of grabbing onto what we like or pushing away what we don't like. It's this wakefulness, this awareness, developing that ability to be intimate, with the present moment, and that includes, of course, people, most of all. That includes nature, whatever it is we're talking about. Seeing if you're not. What is it that blocks that? Why is it that, for me, nature just means the National Geographic, and I get out into a beautiful woods and I get bored to death? I'm not saying it's wrong, personally. It's just, so the learning uh, can go on anywhere, at any time, any place, about anything, and it's all about this, the person who's living out life in the the form known as you, with the name known as whatever your name is. Okay. Um, So, Narayan's giving a a workshop or a practice group on equanimity. Equanimity is learning a whole new way of relating to life, which is uh, uh, balanced, an even mindedness towards our experience. And a an intimacy with it. Uh, not so much all the time thinking about it, but allowing it in. An intimate experience of whatever is happening without judging. The art of clear seeing which is necessary, otherwise nothing will happen. In this practice, it should it would just be dead word. Be a beautiful car with no gasoline. In other words, the ability to really pay attention which you've heard that that phrase is catching up now with organic mindfulness. It's everywhere now, isn't it? Wherever I look, I see mindfulness. Toothpaste, you know. You know I'm serious. I'm serious. Okay, natural, organic, mindfulness. They're in a tough race there. So a lot of practice is honing that ability to pay attention, to see, and refining it. And then, of course, in the sitting, that's our the, a, a brilliantly constructed laboratory that human beings devised long before the Buddha. People have been sitting in meditation for thousands of years. We have evidence uh, from archaeology now and other sources that breath awareness meditation, which is a very important technique in Buddhism, uh, people were doing it in India almost... Between five and six thousand years ago, the Buddha gave it a special twist, using it to do, to generate wisdom, insight. So, uh, people have always, and it's not limited to Buddhism, of course, recognized the need to pull over to the side of the road, whether it's a uh, a change of life, so you become a monk or a nun, or a person who just sets aside some time for what, for prayer or for meditation, and to temporarily. Stop running after or running away, uh, doing all the things we do, and just spend a bit of time with yourself. Uh, And I would say, put in a very ordinary language the instructions you get here, we're suggesting that to set aside some time each day when you go home, call it meditation, to sit quietly with yourself is not a luxury. I don't think it ever has been, but in this time period, where things are so complicated, I think it's very, very helpful to set aside some time, however long, uh, to just be with yourself and to uh, be sensitive to what that is and then get your day started, perhaps, if you can, once again when you come home. Okay, so now let's move into relationship uh, people. Um, And I'm just going to barely get it started tonight and then we'll... See if we can do more with it later on. So rich, it's hard to know where to go. How to start, anyway. Uh, I wasn't joking when I said that it may be that this is the, the main source of both fulfillment, or one of, and suffering, is relationship. Uh, It seems as if we humans um, don't know how to live with each other. Is that too harsh? (laughs) I mean, some, you see examples of certainly loving people who are loving and uh, gentle and compassionate. I don't mean that doesn't exist. Of course it does. Um, But if you see it in a big way, uh, it's as if uh, I have... I've always appreciated Bertrand Russell, a, a, a philosopher, who put it, man has uh, learned how to fly in the air like birds and learn how to swim in the ocean like fish. What we haven't learned how to do is to live on the ground with each other. Uh, whether you go, got, go from war or you go into little in, individual uh, difficulties that we have with one another. And the approach here is that, where does it all begin? It begins in each one of us. So that the first and primary relationship is your relationship to yourself. What is that? Okay, Clearly, that's the essence of meditation. At least this form of meditation. We're beginning to uh, pay attention to our experience, our reactions, our motivations, our intentions, all of that as we live. And if you're not at peace, and sometimes people want a peaceful world uh, I, and say, let's uh, all pray for peace. Fine, I haven't seen a whole lot come out of that. But uh, if we have six billion egos on this planet, six billion people, to me that's six billion egos. Uh, and if the individual egos are not at peace with themselves... Uh, how can the world look other than the way? It's amazing that it's not worse than, than what it is. And there are more on the way. Apparently, population is going to grow in an unbridled way. Okay. So, step number one, and that, of course, we're, we're doing here a lot, is you start with yourself. If you want, and you know, you see bumper stickers about peace and look to yourself, of course. But the question is, are you doing it? Because if you're not at peace with yourself, then don't expect for the world to be at peace because it's made up of people just like you and me. But it's also learned in interaction with other people. Now, I'd like to uh, begin to leave you with this concept of relationship as a mirror. That is, a good mirror reflects back to you what's in front of it. So here's this mirror. I put it in front of you. It's just going to show you. Okay. If you bend your head a little to your left, then it's going to show you. you know. Uh, if I turn it around, it'll show the microphone and the bell. Uh, the image falls away after it's done its job. So it's clean. If it's cracked, or if there's stuff painted over it, uh, then it's not going to have an accurate... The reflection will not be accurate. So... The power of a mirror is exactly its emptiness. That it it doesn't have an opinion. It isn't. It's not for or against anything. It, that's what makes it so uh, precious to have a mirror. Uh, we put our face in front of it. It, it shows us something. Well, this is inner mirroring. If you live in a family or with a group of people, work or just uh, however you, whatever your living arrangement is, you, it can be a hall of mirrors, a house of mirrors where everyone's reflecting back about everyone else. But you have to be willing to learn from that. It's a mirror in the sense that when someone is in, when you're in the presence of another person, you have a reaction. Even if it's no reaction, you, you know, you just, there's another person and you give them uh, some money and they give you the newspaper and, uh, no, and that's what's happened. They haven't affected you in any way. But typically, we react because we're alive. And so in that sense, uh, people teach us about ourselves. uh, If we're willing to start to re-educate ourselves so that in addition to paying attention to the outside world, which we're much better at, uh, we're extraordinary in our external seeing, scientific seeing, telescopes, microscopes, electronic uh, microscopes um, and externally we're very very good observers but what we're learning here and this is not, there's no not a technology for it in this in that sense is the methods of of med- meditation awareness as they get more and more refined you become a better mirror more able to clearly see uh, and in these teachings the suffering is coming because we're not seeing the world accurately Although we do think we are because we're adults. Uh, and so a lot of what Vipassana meditation is about, to me, the cutting edge, is learning how to see things accurately. So, they're at, so it's a mirror. So it's showing you. So when you look at fear, your own, um, you can not think about it, not analyze it, not translate it into some concepts, not uh, through Freud or the Buddha or anyone else, but as pure energy, can you learn from that direct, intimate communion, in a way, with it, uh, so that your relationship to fear starts to change? Because typically we either drown in fear, put in what you'd like if you want to replace fear, we get lost in it, we're terrified, and then we have to do things to avoid that feeling because we don't like it. Or we escape it, deny it, uh, cope with it, put up with it, and so forth. The practice is neither of those, as I, was, uh, I tried to convey a little while earlier. And so it's possible to live in the world, in the world of people. And while you're attending to the people who are in your life, more and more to not lose touch with your inner Life It takes, it's a, it's a, I would call it a re-education, because you have to train yourself to do it. We are having reactions, but typically those reactions, which by the way are mechanical, and I think we'll, we'll leave it with that, they come from our conditioning. Whatever your history, uh, those are all coded inside of us. And our reactions uh, typically um, are conditioned, somewhat mechanical. We have certain tendencies, certain patterns of reaction. That's from the past. So we meet the freshness of the present to some degree with yesterday's eyes. Uh, And when you start seeing that, that falls away and it's replaced by clear seeing. Out of the clear seeing can come what you can call a response. A response is not a reaction. A reaction is mechanical. It's our conditioning enacting itself over and over and over and over again. Sometimes we call it spontaneity. Maybe once in a while. But most of it is just something coming from inside of us that's already a configuration of some kind. It's habit energy. Sometimes very subtle, sometimes very coarse. And as you start to see it, it loses its power. And it's replaced by clear seeing, which has no history. It's not born of your conditioning. It has nothing to do with your gender, your uh, ethnic group, your age. There's no age to seeing. Um, every now and then I say something, uh, and, I'm, that, and it turns out to be helpful to someone once in a while. And I just found out someone uh, told me that on their 50th birthday, they came up to me and said, Uh, They were feeling very, very old, and was there anything I could say to help them feel better? They were getting... I said, you know, I think I was desperate. What are you going to say? If you give it, you know, usual Buddhist thing, yeah, right, we're all subject to it, we're all headed, there's no... So, what came out of this mouth was, apparently, I don't remember it, I was told, I said, is that, well, awareness has no age. And it made this person, so what a great birthday present. That's right. <laughs> so I'm milking it for all I can get. <laughs> At any rate, um, if we're to live on this planet with each other, and I'm not putting forward some messianic, uh, this practice is going to, we're entering into the age of consciousness. I hear a lot of, great, I hope so, be very nice. But I don't have, I'm not holding my breath. Because this has been going on for thousands of years. People have gotten all excited about this phase of living is over. We're moving into now the consciousness, the goal, you know, all kinds of things. And books, it sells a lot of books. It's kind of good for the person who wrote it. Um, maybe I'm all for it. But in our individual lives, there's something we can do. And... From the point of view of, of meditative living, uh, as lay people who are living in the world, as I look around, I don't see any monks or nuns. Uh, but even monks and nuns, they're just people, and they have relationships too. But there's, it's very tightly regulated if you live at a monastery, at least a good monastery. Uh, so for us, uh, we can't just run away from work, run away from family, run away from school, and just keep running to IMS, CIMC, Zen centers, and Tibetan centers. You know, And whenever we get there, oh, God, wonderful to be here. And then the language that sprung up, I feel, is very self-defeating. At the end of retreats, sometimes at IMS, people will talk, about, well, now that we're going back to the real world, and it's not said in a very positive way, uh, is the world of meditation unreal? Is there any place that's not? There's just life, as far as I can tell. And there are challenges when you go on a retreat. But what I'm trying to say is going to special places and sitting, as I as I look around, a number of you do know what I'm getting at. It's an invaluable invention of the human race. But most of our life, even those of you who are very dedicated to this, is lived outside of meditation centers and monasteries and, and even your home. Or it's lived with people in your home. Uh, so, that uh, if we don't learn how to learn from relationship, then uh, the same dreary pattern is just going to repeat itself. So, rather than seeing that as spiritually the problem, relationship, oh, yeah, a lot of jokes. And if you go to monasteries among monks and not, you should, you know, it's all. Uh, here's one I remember from uh, Ajahn uh, Buddhadasa in Thailand. He was saying, you know, like, yeah, of course, this works. If you're going to be a monk, it's important to see that not, you're not missing anything. It's all rotten out there. <laughs> Let's say you're uh, you know, a man, you're 26 years old, and your libido is functioning, and you're told, don't worry about it. It's all just suffering out there anyway. You, you need all the help you can. Uh, you know, to, so the jokes will go something like, you know, marriage, uh, there's so much suffering in marriage. One of my teachers went on this way. Uh, I love him, a great teacher, and I'm beholden, to, I, I'm grateful. But he said, uh, oh, and all that suffering about marriage, we all know that, family life is just full of suffering. And he says, and what, what, uh, what amazes me is in spite of that, we all see it and know it, and when the time comes, we jump up and volunteer for the job. <laughs> uh, it's missing some of the nuances <laughs> of uh, having children, of love, uh, of death, and it 's functional if you 're going to be a celibate monk, but if you 're not or none, if you 're not, then I think we need an attitude towards a relationship that that, that is not sure it 's hard, but we have to start seeing it that uh, as there 's a Dharma saying, a bad situation is a good situation that 's a complete turnabout, just the very badness in quotes of it. There's so much energy trapped in a difficult situation, a, a problem, a serious problem, that if you can relate to it in a fresh and new way, which is what Dharma is about, that energy is going to be released, and then it's you have it's available to you. You have access to it. So we've got to, uh, even though it's difficult, we've started to change the attitude towards it and to see that these are opportunities uh, to get free, to learn, to wise up. Um, we'll. Pick up from this. Um, I don't know whenever the next time is. But look, uh, I know the etiquette that uh, Tom read is uh, like. If you're gonna, if you want to leave, leave now. And if you're gonna stay for Q and A, you, you know you have to stay. Uh, I don't feel that it's an urban center, and people or some people have to trains to make and. You've traveled, it's a long day. So if you want to stay, but you feel that you won't be able to stay too long just for a few questions, feel free to stay, and it won't be rude if you get up and leave. But what I would suggest now is that everyone else who wants to leave, <clears throat> please start leaving, and then uh, we'll, we'll start talking over this stuff together. <laughs> if not, we'll just go have tea and cookies. <laughs> please. Um, about- you what? mentioned a couple times or referred a couple times to one's passion in life and how yours is, is Well, I, it sounds a little self-serving I hope, I know there's a, a there's a, a strong interest, yes in my in my yeah. show Well, um, what about those people who uh, and you started with a writer what about those people who, who do have passions outside of self-knowing but also want self-knowing um, but those sort of artistic passions are sort of self involved and in the other sort of way. And how how does one balance... No, no, okay. This is a very important question. Uh, I didn't have a chance to... Because this view of practice is that life and practice are the same thing. So that the passion, the quiet passion, doesn't mean literally this, although, of course, it includes that. So if you're a writer then as you're doing your writing, is it possible to also uh, bring the practice into the writing and wise up? And I know it is. I've written a little bit. Because we suffer a lot when we... Are you you a writer? Do you suffer sometimes when you write? Of course you do, right? Okay. So uh, you can just... Uh, oh, yeah, that's what being a writer is, and the depth comes out of that suffering. You know, you can have a whole Dostoevskyan, you know rationale for... <laughs> Great. Uh, It's true probably if he wasn't tormented we wouldn't have that great stuff. I will take personally I'd rather just be boring and not insane (laughs) But you know, I'll I'll leave that up to you Um, So that as you're engaged in whatever the activity is so you don't think it's just about writing or of course my thing This is what I do. I'm studying it. I practice it. I teach it. But um, you could be anything you can be you tell me what you do so you you say writer in the activity of writing it's still a human being who's doing that and in a sense there are two uh, two jobs going on but with practice they become the same job which is one you're writing and the other is there's a sensitivity to seeing your reactions to those days when you can't get a, a sentence, you can't even get a word out. You know, it's, it's the, the trash can is filled up to here, and the, the computer is, it is nothing, you know, whatever the suffering is, or we don't want to write, but we have a deadline, or you, you know the, the different thing. Uh, and watching, uh, learning from yourself. Uh, so what I, at very least, what tends to happen is, if you're willing to do this, is that you won't suffer so much because the suffering also let's take work in general if you don't mind because let's say is writing your work as well it's not it's just something you love to do um in in all these human activities there's the function of it the actual doing of writing teaching uh music whatever it is you th- think of what you do and then we humans tend to build a status out of it on top of that function the suffering comes from that that is we we build this sense of me, me doing the writing. Larry, the great Dharma teacher. I don't know your name. You know, uh, you, do you see what I'm getting at. Uh, is that the only way to generate energy? Is by uh, get, for the ego to grind away and compare itself to other Dharma teachers? Am I as good as Joseph Goldstein or Ryan and Michael? You know. Uh, listen, it happens. If it does. You can't ban it, but what you can do is see, uh, because wisdom is going way beyond all that, but you start where you are. So the the practice of the the passion of writing and the passion of of learning, self-understanding, at a certain point, they're not different. Do my words make any sense? Good. But it takes a while for that to become natural. And uh, in a way, it's one love, really. It's the love of life, of living. Yeah. Just your way of showing it, one one way is through writing. And someone else could be through dance or whatever it is. Sure. being reflected back to me, that I, can, I can see myself by looking at that. But it also seemed that you were talking about a, uh, a mirror, a mirror in, in various locations, a mirror when we look inside ourselves and when we see our emotions. Those, are, those can be mirrors. Is it just a kind of shifting of the metaphor? Yeah. Let's. Okay. It's a, It's a, That question gets. Uh, let's say for you to truly see your wife. Okay. Um, first of all. I don't know you, so I'm safe in saying this. And if I'm wrong, uh, probably you see your wife through a filter of uh, how long have you been married? Uh, Roughly. 15 years. No, okay. i married. I just use that as an easy way to say it. You've been together a while. And you have an accumulations <laughs> of uh, when you made each other happy or uh, honeymoon, when you made each other miserable, you know, the, you know the, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, and the mind tends to generate images of her, if you're not doing it intentionally, and you're, it's not like you're walking around. It's just it's a it's a, a very subtle filter between you and her. So, but can that be seen? Well, I'll just tell you, I haven't been married as long as or been with the, my wife as long as you have, let's say, but long enough. And um, you let's say you're with a person, and of course they have certain there's a history that you have, and there are some, and also they have certain patterns oh yeah there's old you know galena that's her name you're doing her uh, you know uh, who's going to go to the bathroom first thing, and who's turning you know here we go again, you know uh, but the thing is you can see you can see your mind, you can see that image making machine at work, and that as you see it, it falls away, and then it's not like you have amnesia. You'll still recognizably know it's your wife. <laughs> but it has a freshness to it. You probably, look, many people, have you, have you heard the beginner's mind? Everyone has heard that and read that. Okay, that beginner's mind, is not just a cute term. That's what it's meant. Don't know mind, same thing. It's a mind that, is, that isn't constantly seeing the present through the eyes of the past. And in this way of doing it, you see how the past is getting between you and another person is separation it can be extremely subtle so image is really a conclusion about them uh and it you know in one sense it might be sensible sure they have those character traits and so forth but you're not but seeing is not a, a about seeing is a is an intimate thing now the mirror as i was using the image it may break down you know as i was using the image is that you have a reaction to your wife. She says something or does something. And so in that sense, it shows you something about yourself. Uh, so in that sense, uh, however she is creates a reaction in you. And that's really, if the, if the image of mirror is not good, throw it out. Mm-hmm. What I'm more interested in is, the, is what I'm talking about, which is um, you've learned that, let's say, you, so you can still be quite irritated very easily. And you just see it. And in that moment it falls away. If you spoke from that irritability, I don't you know, the chances of what comes out of that are less likely to be wise and kind. You know, less likely. If you see it, it falls away. It may be the very same words, but the energy is different. And it's more likely to be wise and kind. Do you see what I'm getting at? Okay. Please. Yeah, stop explaining it to other people. <laughs> I'm, not to I'm not just being a wise guy. And <laughs> how do you when, when other people close to you are curious about it, ah, that you one that's it, what do you have about it? Let's all pray for this lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, Why? I don't know. Do they mean better? easy to be with worse not sure what to make of it yeah okay uh yeah okay uh first of all uh, there's how long have you been doing this practice uh, a number of months now perfect honeymoon phase <laughs> uh so that uh, don't teach buddhism just be a buddha to the best of your ability do not try to teach buddhism to anyone even if you love the Buddhism, many people in, in the West are not really Buddhists in, let's say, the Asian sense of taking it on as a whole religion, knowing the holidays, bringing their children up to be this way, every gesture, ritual, and all that. It's just a guide to living to hopefully to improve our living. But, uh, Believe me, I know what you're talking about. And uh, I was a nightmare to everyone. And it doesn't work. That's the main thing. It doesn't work. Because, you know, those of us who are like first generation doing it, no one knew what we were talking about. And I left the university career to do this. So people, my sister thought I was insane. And she wasn't a metaphor. <laughs> and my parents were just terrified. How will he earn a living? I don't know. I didn't know. But what I'm getting at is this. At a certain point, you get tired of doing that. And, like, I have found skillful ways of changing the subject. <laughs> or, you know, or I'll just say sort of cliches that say something but not really. And You know, sort of like, well, it's a way of calming the mind so that we can uh, be clear and get to know ourselves better so our actions come out of that. And people then think they know what you're talking about. Uh, but I, uh, I haven't seen it work too well at a certain point at a certain point you don't uh, and there is a certain price i guess that's paid for example take my blood family uh my sister and her side of the, my sister brother-in-law her children uh etc none of them have a they they've tried my sister who we have a good connection we love each other we care about each other we couldn't be more different she's the one who thought i was insane okay she knows I'm not insane, at least it took about 10 years. for. Um, every time we visit, finally my wife had to tell me to stop doing it. She would say like, Larry, well, what is meditation anyway? And like a fool I would bite, like a fish. You know, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd go on, you know, some kind of a very brilliant, articulate, uh, and then It goes, she's not even listening. My wife pointed out, she doesn't really care. You know, she's going, oh. Okay, so the next time we come back for Thanksgiving, Larry, what is meditation? Well, okay, I don't fall for it anymore. I really don't. Sometimes I'll say, you know, Linda, there's a little book by Thich Nhat Hanh, Mindfulness, da, 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 da. Read that, I think you'll find it helpful. There's some groups in, where she lived in Amherst, Massachusetts, some groups here. You find out, I, I find it hard to put into words, frankly. But, you know, so I didn't have much good luck with that. Maybe you'll be more fortunate. But then the, the kind of, uh, be a Buddha, don't teach Buddhism. In other words, show by your behavior. But let's, let's make it now apply everything we've said this evening. You, you come home. Or you're with people, not, not, you know, wherever this turns up, and uh, they say you've changed, and you're not sure what that whether that's a compliment or a puzzle. You don't know what it means. But you, have, what is your reaction in that moment? See, practices the Buddhist teaching is uh, psychology is a psychology of momentariness. So in that moment, it, the, that person who asked you that is giving you an opportunity to learn something about yourself. What what do you feel? Do you feel defensive. Great. You see what I mean? So that's self-knowing. So you can go, now I'm sure it's not, okay, you understand. It's not limited to that. Probably we go through life being defensive when we don't get the the questions and responses we want. You know, when our uh, ego is to some degree on the line, in our own eyes at least, even the other person doesn't intend it. Okay, so but let's act it out. It's a small thing, but in a way it isn't. So let's say, The person, I'm you now for the moment, Uh, they ask a question and I go um, and I have this reaction um, and I'm with it. I feel the the defensiveness, throw the word defensiveness out, it's just a word, and feel, you feel the the muscles, contraction in the body, uh, maybe the mind, it doesn't feel so good. You were feeling pretty good and then suddenly the quality of consciousness has changed slightly by that question because... Somehow you interpreted it's got to be negative. Uh, you might draw them out. No, let's say the reaction, I don't know what would come from the reaction. You do know. What has come out of that? What have you done? What different? Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I change the subject or try to find something else. To talk about. Okay. Or sometimes I launch it and invite the hook. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, now here's, this is just uh, uh, theoretically, you know, or it's, it, this can happen in general. They say or ask you. So they say, "Oh, you seem to have changed," and then you get defensive. Not the word. And as you become aware of that, the ability you don't lose touch with whoever said it. It's not like, uh, "Excuse me for a minute." And you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. While it, while as as you're celebrating the anniversary of this, right there, right there in their presence, uh, you can with practice you remain attentive to them but you haven't lost touch with yourself and you feel that, the awareness that's there tends to weaken it a bit. As you get better at it, it falls away, and the mind is a little clearer. It can get totally clear. And then what comes out of it, it's not a formula. It's not coming from your... And it might be, um, for example, I'm making this up. One one rea- one, thing, one, uh, one thing that might come out of you from the conditioned reaction of defensiveness might be, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, What do you mean changed? But let's say if you take care of the reaction, it might be, well, how do you mean that, uh, change? Uh, help me understand what, in what ways do you see me changing. But it's, the energy is different. For all you know, you break some new ground. I was able to do that with my father towards the end of his life, where finally we were able to talk to each other about it, and he was able to listen. It took, oh, 25 years. I hope you're not as dumb as me. I have a lot of holes in my roof of my mouth. Um, So at least theoretically, the possibility of a more skillful interaction comes out of it not being habit energy reactive, but coming out of, and it may be just silent. You may do the same things, change the subject. I I don't know. But the possibility of it being wiser and kinder and more skillful in the Buddha's use of that appropriate wiser in that moment is enhanced if it's not coming from a, a reaction, but it's coming from a freshness of the experience. And that comes from seeing you're not fresh. The reaction, you can't, you can't help that. Reactions are if pricked, you bleed. They say something, you react. It's mechanical. But we more and more can not live there. We can start learning how to free ourselves from living so much of our life from conditioning which is Pavlovian. Yes, please. Hi. Say something about, children. Say something about children. children. Do I look like Google? <laughs> what do you mean, say so? Some- <laughs> <laughs> Press Google, children, and, you know, it's like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> me too. Okay, let me give you. Okay, I can give these are concrete exam. I can give you one. Yeah. I understand. This actually happened. I've I've seen the greatest success with parents and young children. Is you is, you have a child? Good, perfect. Or she's on the edge of being a real pain in the ass, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? I said mine are 12 and
1: 13, so they're right there. Yeah, it,
0: yeah, I understand. It it too. Sh- the law of impermanence will save you eventually. They, yeah. <laughs> I understand. Okay, I have some data on this one. Fortunately. Okay. Do uh, you yours is every other word like and awesome? They have the vocabulary is two words. Three. Sweet. Awesome. Like I went and like you know they can be. I hear Harvard undergraduates, every other word. Like, we went and she said like, and we like, you know, like, awesome like, you know, like, this got into Harvard, you know. Or <laughs> well, we don't know what we're talking about. Who doesn't? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And some truth to that. Okay. Uh, uh, okay, Here, here's what I've seen. Here's a typical one. This comes from, I'm recreating it, but it's as close to my memory as I can make it. Uh, a, parent, a woman trying to cha- train, I don't, don't remember how old the child was, but in, roughly in that range, uh, to clean up the crumbs after you eat. Okay. Uh, easily, know what, you know, that, know one. that one. Okay, so she would say, you know, I'm going to make this up. Johnny, would you please clean up the crumbs after you eat? You know, And when you're right on top of the person and right there, they do it. You know. And then when you're not, which can't be all the time, then they don't do it. and they don't. Johnny, it starts to, there's an evolution of the Johnny. You know, nothing against Johnny, but, you know, it's just, because guys are worse, right? We're worse than girls. That's what I hear. Anyway, uh, Johnny, would you please clean up the crumbs that I told you by the, you know, six or seven How many more times do I have to tell you to clean up the crumbs? What am I, your servant? What do you think? Everyone in this house, what am I, I look like you're, you know, I'm just going, okay. So you can have that reaction but with practice, you don't verbalize it. It's not. Re- it's not just restraint. You know, we know how to restrain ourselves. But this one is not just restraint. You're aware of the, the the uh, annoyance. Let's call it annoyance, okay, or fed upness, whatever. Because it, it's not the word, and you feel that you take care of it. You know, the awareness is right there with the contraction in the shoulders and this. And then what can this is uh, this is actually should have said. Johnny, um, please you know that, this is more of a response it 's not reactive. Uh, you know we 've been over this a number of times i 'd really appreciate it if you 'd help out by learning how to clean up the crumbs and the energy is different, and at least sometimes no guarantees uh, that gives the other person an opportunity to break new ground and respond differently at least it seems to happen sometimes, but it you know, but you got uh, the work is mainly on your side. They're not gonna, yeah, that's what I've done. Yeah. Told repeat things, okay. yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, and but also how you as it gets the more it gets repeated the more the quality changes usually. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here how to intervene so that uh, is what's called breaking the circuit. Johnny doesn't clean the crumbs. You give him a right hook to the jaw. No, that's what I would do. You know, at a certain point. Um, and then he gives you a left uppercut, me. Okay. But if you don't do that, even if they're not a meditator, you've broken the circuit of tit for tat, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. That one's an interesting one. That's why, you know, the world looks the way it does with people with no teeth and blind, you know, we're all doing that to each other. Okay. So what happened, what can happen, no guarantees is that, uh, Johnny leaves the crumbs and because you're starting to take care of yourself, understand yourself better, then you could even say the same words, but there's a greater light. It's, it breaks the circuit because the energy is different, and there's the possibility that that breaks that circuit of uh, fighting with each other. Uh, but and it's a, a a very rich way to place to practice. It should help you. At least that's what's reported to me. Yeah. What? Put it into practice, sure, and, and I'm always interested in learning what happens, what comes out of it. Yeah, please. Um, this is sort of an example of an and question at the same time. Is sure. Other- and of those of you who are here for the first time, are you totally new to meditation or to insight meditation? Again, a show of hands. If you've been doing some other form of meditation, don't raise your hand. Thank you. It's just helpful. It's uh, sometimes difficult to um, gauge the talk based on the experience of the people who are listening, Um, uh, especially the practice experience. It's one thing to study. It's another to uh, put the teachings into practice. Um, If you look at the brochure, and some of you, as I look around, know this, Uh, I've been on this one theme, I think it's a couple of years now, (laughs) Um, but I have to tell the truth, I don't fully know what I'm doing. (laughs) Uh, It's something like this, the theme is uh, self-knowing a quiet passion. And that's a passion of mine. That title does capture it. But the uh, way the way I, the way I um, was trained, the very first teacher I had, the very first uh, Dharma teacher I had, uh, trained me to not teach with notes, and to just uh, teach as if like a jazz musician. That is, to have your theme uh, have that clear to know it. So my theme is clear to me, and then just blow. Okay. <laughs> okay so that 's what i mean i don 't fully know what i 'm doing uh, sometimes stuff comes out of my mouth that uh, i don 't know where that came from sometimes it 's interesting sometimes it 's stupid, but anyway um, the strength of it is at least for me is that it it can be more on the sponta- it can be spontaneous and fresh. The weakness of it is that um, forget to say important things because it's so spontaneous that if if I'm teaching the Four Noble Truths, I might just uh, cover two of them and forget the (laughs) the other two. That's bad teaching, very bad. Um, uh, The quiet passion, self-knowing a quiet passion. Self-knowing, I'm giving a brief review each time. It has to be, of course, very brief. It's not self-knowledge, which is a much more familiar term to most of us, which means what you learn about yourself as you live out this life. Um, Now, depending on how you use what I'm talking about, knowledge could be a perfectly good word for it. But typically, knowledge is something you acquire, and then you commit it to memory. And then it is something you bring into play uh, subsequently. Uh, so it's uh, an accumulation, in this case, of insights. And I know people who have spiral notebooks filled up with insights about themselves. Uh, I'm not sure, but that might be um, counterproductive for, th- for this approach, for this practice. Might, you might get a book out of it. It might be actually interesting and maybe you'll make some money. But uh, it's not ab- about accumulating um, more chapters to the story of your life is starring you. (laughs) Produced and directed by you and all the, what is it, gaffer, all those different roles? I don't even know what they mean. (laughs) All you. Popcorn, you give it out. (laughs) You buy it. Um, Self-knowing is something that, uh, it's in the active present. That is, in a given moment, the mind is sensitive, alert, and learn something directly from the experience of what's happening, and that is its value. And then that's the end of it. It's not that you file it away. Of course, you can. It's not that you try to banish it. Some of it does, as a matter of fact, become part of memory. But that's not the point. Uh, the point is, in that given moment, to bring a certain quality of attention to what's happening to you. So the the quality of attention is crucial, and then the intention to learn rather than to judge. Learning here doesn't necessarily, again, mean in words, although sometimes it is. Some of the deepest learning and the name of this practice, insight meditation, Vipassana means insight. Uh, There are two kinds of insights. One is reflective, which is an intelligent use of thinking. And that's still valuable. I'm sure everyone in this hall has done that already. You don't need to learn how to do that. It's to reflect on things and uh, the degree to which perhaps we get some new ideas from the teachings of the Buddha and other teachers who've come since the Buddha (laughs) over a few thousand years Uh, and that those thoughts help you, help you to understand yourself in one sense um, and are useful. Uh, But a deeper meaning of insight uh, has no thinking in it, none whatsoever. Zero. Uh, The clear seeing, see something and... Now, to the thinking mind, hearing this may sound puzzling. Like, what would the value be? or What, what could that be? If I try to put it into words for you, uh, we we it go, we go backwards. So, what it is is, when the mind is clear, uh, it sees things, and that's a kind of learning in that direct seeing. Uh, for example, if you read about uh, if you read the Buddhist teaching, you can't miss hearing over and over again that life is change, impermanence. Everything is in flux. And that's a fundamental kind of insight. And you can read it, and maybe it's intelligible. I hope it is, because it seems to be true. And you nod, and it feels convincing, and it might even be helpful. It's conceptual, but the the conceptual understanding is based on the fact you've lived for a while, and you, in fact, have seen, of course. Everything is changing. Uh, Direct insight is something that's much deeper. When you see that change actually happen at the moment that it happens or the moments that it happens, I see an old friend. Uh, And there's a knowing not as an idea. You don't translate it into an idea, as useful as that idea may be. Uh, But rather, uh, it sinks into the heart, and you begin to see uh, that, in fact, things change, and they change in uncertain ways. So a kind of learning goes on. Uh, that, the degree to which the, the awareness is clear and steady and open to receive this, uh, the fact of the situation tells its story, and that, interact, that story is received by something inside us, and that's what transforms us. Uh, so they're both valuable so self knowing is what you can learn about yourself as you go through life but it's uh it's more it's in the active present it's something that's situational that in that moment may have some value, and then that's it okay uh, a quiet passion uh, <clears throat> I think everyone understands some has probably some form of passion some of it's obvious uh, here if you're From my point of view, of course, I have a bias. This is what I do. Uh, If you're fortunate, this whole uh, project or journey of learning about yourself uh, in order to get free um, can become a quiet passion. It's quiet because it's not exactly flamenco dancing, clicking things and stamping your feet. Uh, But there can be a deep flame going on inside, not necessarily visible to anyone else. In fact, not visible. And yet, uh, there's something in us that is really interested. And uh, interested in what? And for the next few, I don't know, weeks, months, I I want to uh, accentuate a certain aspect of what I feel that the talks have been leading up to and have included already. I see the Buddha's teaching as, uh, uh, put it in somewhat different words, where the Buddha is saying, as human race, you don't seem to know how to live. Uh, Just look around. We don't, as a race, the human race, we don't seem to know how to live. Uh, We're having a hard time, but we've always had a hard time. If you read history, you'll see greed, hatred, and delusion, wars after war, after war, different groups. Feeling superior over other groups again and again. The content changes. The alliances change. But self-interest never changes. Uh, we don't seem to learn certain things. But the difference is in our time period, the immense power released by science and technology uh, has made the same old... I don't think people are any more cruel now than they were. But now the tools... I, I mean, how, I don't really know. But it wouldn't surprise me if there's not that much difference. But the tools available uh, for uh, damage, as you know, are incalculable. And it seems to be a mad race to improve on them, to make them even more powerful. Um, So the way I would put it, and this is, uh, I would say, my quiet passion. I can't say all the time, but certainly a lot is uh, learning how to live. Just as if we went around the room, and uh, I'm sure everyone has something that they love to do. Uh, It might be photography. It might be cooking. It might be dance. It doesn't really matter, a particular art, painting. You you tell me, photography. I don't want to limit it. Um, it It's something we love to do, and we do it because we love it. what the Buddha is saying, he's giving us a teaching, which are some hints. If we're having a hard time living, perhaps some of these teaching words can point in a useful direction. Actually, the Buddha is explicitly saying that he's teaching only one thing: suffering and the end of suffering. So, what what is being put forward are words to begin with, and there are lots of them, which are feed the conceptual mind, so that the mind begins to understand a way of looking at life that perhaps is new, or if you already have it, refining it, intensifying it. Uh, and what the Buddha is also saying is uh, it doesn't stop there, because having, let's say, a new, a new map of how life is or a new philosophy of life uh, turns out to not be, have much potency, because we've seen that. Endless philosophies come and go. They're rather limited. So what is also included are skills, techniques and methods and forms which actually enable the mind to transform itself into a stronger, clearer, wiser, kinder mind. When I say mind, it isn't just thinking. It's the whole being. Heart would be included. Chitta's is a word that... We have two different words, but it means that. Um, <clears throat> So the quiet passion for me is the art of living. Let's say if you love the art of, um, I don't know, archery, or you love the art of photography or dance, wouldn't it be nice if we as a race, the human race, fell in love with the art of living? Well, I don't see that in the curriculum in high school. No one left behind. I don't hear that it seems to be something else that we're not going to be left behind about. Um I think it's more the first kind of learning, learning of accumulating memories, information, and being able to uh, present them back. And that has its value as well. This is not discrediting conceptual knowledge. It's just saying that these teachings go well beyond it and yet need it. Need it. The, the teachings, the verbal teachings, are pointers, hopefully in the right direction. But the transformative power comes from only one place, You. And you can read all the books in our library, and it's not a bad little library, um, and you won't really understand what the Buddha's talking about unless you uh, understand your own mind, because all it is leading to that. What is being said is our immense suffering comes out of this consciousness, and also the greatest happiness comes out of this consciousness. Ignorance is a major source of suffering in the Buddha's teaching, It's the ground out of which all the other uh, mental afflictions grow. But one of the meanings of ignorance is we're ignorant of our full potential, to put it in more modern terminology. Each of us has immense potential, but we're not aware of it. So what we're trying to do is polish what we know of as being life, which is typically our personality. Changing one way of living for another way of living. Lifestyle, never liked that word. It's not about style. It's about living, the quality of our life. So um, what I'd like to emphasize, it's, it's similar to what has been going on for however long it's been going on, is um, learning how to live. And again, it's in the active present. It's something you learn in the process of living. It's a question of your, if you're interested. In other words, the, the teachings are tremendous. That Life is constantly teaching. And if if we're interested, the lessons are there. And what is being added are some pointers, some guidelines to living, uh, which collectively may be called Buddha Dharma. There are different kinds, different collections, uh, sometimes called Theravadan, sometimes called Zen, sometimes called uh, Tibetan. But they're all going in that direction to improve the quality of life, to help to free us from what apparently we need to be freed from, essentially ourselves. Our, the, the projections that our minds throw out, which we then believe in as we take to be reality, and we're doing it to each other, to the environment, we make up what's happening. And it, or it comes from conditioning. So what is designed to replace that or to augment that? It's a clear mind, a, a mind that sees very, very clearly the way a mirror would, the way a mirror would, so that uh, learning how to live, wouldn't it be nice if, uh, instead of seeing it as a grim endeavor, like cod liver oil, as is, we're taking that, I don't know what brings you here, uh, but I've just, I found, it was in myself as well, but I've seen it uh, to begin with most or many of us come just tell me what to do give me a method and a technique How many retreats do I have to go on how long do I have to go to IMS for how long should I sit in the morning? How long should I sit in the afternoon? Uh, just lay it out for me. I'll do it, and then I will just be great, right? <laughs> I don't think so uh, There is an element of, of practice in it in that sense there are techniques and forms And they're enabling us to refine the mind so that it's fit to really see how we live. And that includes, of course, sitting. But uh, the reason I'm saying self-knowing in action is because the the self-knowing is not limited to sitting. Hardly. And most of us will spend most of our life, by far, off the cushion and not on retreat. So, we need an approach, a frame of reference, uh, encouragement, uh, methods that encourage us uh, to understand that there's just life. And uh, what we're learning applies not only to sitting, not only, which I would call formal practice, what you do here and let's say other retreat centers, meditation centers, um, but that same teaching needs to be extended and applied and brought fully into your life as it is. I'm not telling anyone here how to live. I wouldn't dream of doing it. I have enough challenge for myself. I feel, a long time ago, I was given a question that made the most sense to me. I was a freshman in college, and that came from the Greeks, from Socrates. And a big question is, how is one to live? Each one of us needs to solve that for ourselves. How am I to live? Now, typically, we just do it. Maybe we inherited certain ways of doing it and get caught up in patterns and uh, fashions and the times. This is asking us to take a fresh look at how we actually live, each one of us. Uh, That means, in a sense, you're starting over. I'm not telling you to change anything, but to take a fresh look at how you actually live. Now, self-knowing... And the art of living, which is sometimes called wisdom, which is fine with me, um, that's something that... Uh, that's what the whole journey is about. What is being suggested is that because there isn't so much wisdom in life, uh, we suffer tremendously and unnecessarily. Um, and the learning that—that—that uh, that, that is being... Uh, that I'm encouraging you to at least consider, is learning that comes out of the, the act of living itself. The most ordinary events. There's nothing left out. When you can sit, when you can come to places like CIMC, go on retreats, by all means, it's very, very helpful. But if you take that to be it, I think you'll, you'll be disappointed after a few years. I think you may find that it doesn't have that s- s- transformative power that m- perhaps you wanted. Can you become calm, a more calm person? Of course. Can you become a kinder person? Yes. Can you become a more ethical person? Yes. But uh, many good people who, living on this planet are not free people. You can be very good and very unfree. I know a number of very good people who suffer a lot because they're not free. So uh, this is about getting free. And it happens not by just wishing it, but by actually having the intention to learn as we live out our life. We humans have that amazing capacity. As we live out our life, we can also be sensitive and interested in what is happening as we do it. And it's possible to see certain ways of living, living here meaning thinking, speaking, acting, uh, seem to be unskillful. They seem to cause suffering. And we repeat it over and over again. Well, uh, in this practice, you'd be encouraged to take a look at how you actually live. And my very first teacher, a long time ago, uh, after, I, after the first few sessions I had with him, uh, and then we were going to be apart for a while, I wanted some techniques, and he didn't give them to me. And all he said was, pay attention as to how you actually live. And the actually was very, almost screamed at me in italics, capital letters. Actually, not how we think we live, not how we think we should live. Okay, that, uh, that's the basic material. And that, of course, includes relationship, and we'll get to that in a moment. Relationship is crucial. Uh, how do we actually live? In order to do that, uh, if you want to uh, uh, engage in this uh, exploration of how you live, uh, and for me, I'm not saying I've discovered everything that I've discovered has been just wonderful, hardly. But the learning is what has uh, given, every time you, I, I'll make this statement for myself and others who have tried this. When you learn something for yourself firsthand, even if it's a small thing, it gives you energy. There's a certain energy that comes from you, firsthand understanding something about yourself. Really understanding it. Not simply parrot-like repeating what the Buddha said or someone else. But you really dig it out of your own experience. It's yours now. It's not second-hand. You haven't borrowed it from the Buddha or some Roshi or uh, Ajahn or whoever. You know it for yourself. Uh, so that is what's emphasized. In order to do that, it's helpful if the mind is steady, sensitive, and certain qualities seem to be necessary. One is humility, because uh, what I've seen, and uh, of course I'm including myself, is once we come to be what is known as adults, in my generation, all the men had to do was buy an Adam's hat. <laughs> You've probably never heard of it. But Adam's hat, it was like a rite of, although it started earlier. Being Jewish, at 13 I was told that I was a man. I think uh, it was a slight overstatement there. (laughs) Fortunately, I didn't believe it. Um, It takes humility because you have to see you make mistakes and that uh, that's not tragic. You fall down and there's nothing wrong with the falling down. Learning includes that. It's just the people who stay down, that's a problem. But what is being encouraged here is you get up Uh, because so much of what we learn does come from mistakes. If you can't admit mistakes, and I have no uh, political innuendo here about our president, I just wanna make that clear. (laughs) This is a totally apolitical talk. I have my own private opinion, but I wouldn't dream of inflicting it on you. (laughs) If you can't acknowledge mistakes, you're ineducable. How can you learn? Because a lot of wisdom, maybe much of it, for all I know, most of it comes out of foolishness. But you have to be willing to learn from the the ways in which uh, you have to be willing to unlearn ways of living that are unskillful. That in your terms, you see it for yourself, not because some uh, teacher, rabbi, minister, mullah, uh, guru, uh, whatever the expert's name, psychiatrist, that can be helpful. It's not to discard the wisdom that other people have developed in books and in life who've come before us. But finally, uh, we have to see it for ourselves. And when you see unskillful ways of living, it can be a, quite a, a blow to your self-esteem. Can you handle that? Because sometimes what you see is very cherished images that we have of ourselves. Uh, When you take a look, they just uh, fall to the ground and are broken into pieces. And there it's a turning point. You You begin to see that, and you can either get very discouraged and never do that again. It's kind of a fork in the road. Or understand that this is good news. You saw something that's really untrue. And then perhaps you learn that the reason you formed an image which, which was incorrect or a partial truth perhaps all images are they're not real it's about what's going on is that it's a nice place to take refuge in. It gives us a feeling of security. If you have a positive self-image, I remember it starts very early for me. It's the first one I can remember is my Tom X cowboy outfit. And thinking myself was, yes with chapstick, you know, chaps and uh, uh, not chapstick, that's something else that's more relevant for now chaps, yeah, you can see what kind of a cowboy I was (laughs) this is in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York Uh, and two guns and a big hat and a vest and inside I felt like I was Tom Mix or even better Okay, and then that got changed to my baseball outfit and then that got traded to this and And then I remember the a crucial turning point for me, it was both tragic and comical is I was in a uh, a zendo it was in the Zen tradition in Japan, and it was a, a high ceremony and you have a lot of layers of robes for the ceremony It's amazing how many different uh, pieces of cloth have been invented to signify that this is a special event <laughs> uh, and so I had a lot of that on along with a and I suddenly looked around and I looked at myself and I realized. Nothing has changed since Tom Mick's outfit. <laughs> I'm just trading in one identity, which, I, which makes me feel good that I can uh, uh, take shelter in uh, for another one. Now, wear that one out and take another one. And I had to leave the room. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> the, the hall. But it was, uh, which you don't do in Zen, but I had to do it. <laughs> uh... At Vipassana, we're you know a little sloppy. We let you leave if you want. <laughs> um, and so it goes. And then of course there are subtle images, where you, image of somebody who has no image, if completely free. I'm, I'm a complete nobody. But that there, it's the same. The ego is just shameless, and it will make up whatever it needs to make up. <laughs> uh, it just wants to reign supreme. It doesn't really care about what. As long, as long as you value it. Or well, somebody values it, then fine. It doesn't care otherwise. So, um, learning how to live and self-knowing, to me, are inseparable. That is, as you live out your life, you learn about yourself, and a lot of that comes in the fire of living. So then the real question is, that courage is needed. I did, did I mention that? I should have. It's not humility only, but courage. And... Uh, this willingness to, to learn, which maybe sums the whole thing up. You have to be interested. Often the best incentive is suffering. Uh, if you've come here and you're already just terrific, you're just a curious, fine. It's another show in town. Tomorrow night you can do ballroom dancing, then you can go, you know, whatever Uh, so often, not always, but often it seems like some degree of suffering, there has to be a fire lit under our behind to get us to question how we've been living. Maybe a big disappointment, maybe a loss, maybe a disillusionment, maybe a death. I don't know. It's different for each person. And then we have to, be equi- we have to equip ourselves for this journey. We need a quality of attention um, that is stable and steady and clear. And, hmm. When when is the talk supposed to end? What time? (laughs) Oh, okay, so I have time, yeah. I can rant and rave a little bit more. What I'd like to do tonight, and probably just get it, the beginnings of it, get it going, and then um, probably make it take another two years to work that one out, um, is to talk about relationship. Now, when you hear that, immediately probably you think of personal relationship, intimate relationship, problems in relationship. I'm not in a relationship, but I want to be one. I'm in a relationship. How do I get out? (laughs) Uh, I don't want to hurt that other person, but I hate what's going on here. Can you help me with that? Oh, I would just love to be in a relationship. I just, uh, yes, of course, that's a primary, maybe the main way we human beings suffer. Probably that's why people become monks and nuns you think, <laughs> you, you, you think they're stupid <laughs> Get me out of here <laughs> you know? okay but apparently we're the, you know we've gotten left back you know, and so here we are we're we're uh, I don't really mean that honestly and truly uh we we are uh It's more general. What I'm getting at is this, self-knowing, learning about yourself, learning how to live. I would say one way of looking at what the the Buddha's contribution uh, to me is a quiet, bloodless revolution and ongoing, generation after generation. It's not storming any barricades because it's inner work. And. we experience let's say you're committed to this meditation i've been doing it for many years now we're no different than anyone else walking on broadway or any other street anywhere else on the planet we love we hate we bleed when we're when uh, when we're wounded we cry when we lose people who we love and so forth we get hungry we eat we get sick we get old we we die etc everyone goes through that what's different is what is being suggested, one one aspect of it, it's a new relationship to your experience. A new relationship to your experience. And so when I say relationship, I mean it in the broadest sense, although what I'd like to get going is personal relationship, but it's not limited to that, and uh, other ways in which I'm, this term is being used will come in. Relationship to nature. If you want to understand yourself, what is your relationship to nature? If you're starting off from scratch, that means just what it sounds like, Uh, taking a look at your life that maybe you've lived out for many years. And just, whoa, it it can be quite rejuvenating for those of us who uh, have less grass growing on top than we might have had 10 years ago. That's the men, women have whatever.